From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A researcher from Upstate Medical University has found a way to identify concussions in children and predict the length of their recovery using a simple saliva test. Here to talk about his work is Associate Professor Frank Middleton, who divides his work among four departments, neuroscience and physiology, biochemistry and molecular biology, psychiatry and behavioral sciences, and pediatrics. Thank you, Dr. Middleton, for being here. It's a pleasure to be here, Amber. Appreciate it. Now, I know that you collaborate with a professor from Penn State Hershey Medical Center on this project. How did the two of you come up with the idea of a saliva test that could identify concussions? That's a great question. So the researcher whom you're referring to is Dr. Stephen Hicks at Hershey Medical Center. And Steve and I first became involved in research together when he was actually completing his MD, PhD degree here at Upstate, and I was one of his faculty mentors. Steve decided that he was going to match in pediatrics and do his training uh, here at Upstate. And during his fourth year of medical school, um, I was fortunate to have the ability to convince Steve to come into the lab and start to engage in some research on a new class of molecules that the field of neuroscience, the field of molecular biology, had become interested in, and this class concerned microRNAs. Now, Steve's initial work in my lab focused on measurement of microRNAs in the serum of subjects, adult subjects, who actually had a history of alcohol abuse or alcoholism. And one of the tie-ins with that research and Steve's Ph.D., uh, research is the fact that um, fetal alcohol exposure is a prominent risk factor for autism spectrum disorder. So Steve and I actually thought it would be very appropriate for us to consider trying to measure these microRNAs in children who were believed to have autism spectrum disorder, whether they were experiencing that as a result of a fetal alcohol exposure or not. There are many different ways that you could develop autism spectrum disorder. So we thought because of the difficulty in diagnosing kids with this syndrome, maybe the use of microRNA measures would be useful for that. So microRNA, let me just back up a, a little bit. It's a new class of molecule. Does that mean it's everywhere in our body? It's in the bloodstream? Or wh where, where is it? That's a fantastic question. So microRNAs we didn't know about when I was going through college. And uh, when most people who are doing research right now were going through college. They were really only discovered in the early 90s, and it was discovered in research involving worms. It took about a decade before people started realizing that these microRNAs were present in just about every organism on Earth, that the microRNAs, in fact, were present in the genomes of uh, every species that they went looking, with the exception perhaps of some bacteria. And these microRNAs have the ability to regulate the expression of more than half the genes in the genome. Oh. So we used to think that it was a pretty simple process to go from the DNA to the RNA to the protein in cells. And what this realization of the existence of microRNAs clearly established was that that's much too simple, that microRNAs actually dictate whether an RNA turns into a protein 
and therefore much more directly tied to the cellular phenotype, if you will. In answer to the second part of your question, microRNAs are made in every cell in the body. They're made normally. They're required for cell development. They're required for cell division, cell reproduction. They're required for every biological process that you can imagine. In my case, uh, the interest of, of my own research in microRNAs, they're definitely required for normal brain function. And they are released by cells. And they travel in every biofluid of the body. So microRNAs are thought to potentially be a molecular endocrine system that was, until recently, completely unrecognized. Wow. It's a new horizon. Just seems like a wide open. So uh, the changes that you would see in cerebrospinal fluid, it would make sense that you would also be able to see those in saliva. It's another body fluid, right? Well, it's true. There are changes that you can detect in uh, different microRNAs are, are found in different biofluids. But there are some changes that you can detect in uh, multiple biofluids because they share some of the same microRNA mm -hmm. composition. The microRNAs that are found in a biofluid are released there from cells that are either involved in synthesizing or secreting that biofluid, or potentially, they, in the case of saliva, for example, they may be released by nerves that actually innervate the salivary glands themselves. And so in terms of the autism work that we were interested in, um, spearheading, we decided early on that we were going to move away from trying to collect blood in children who had autism spectrum disorder and instead try to look at saliva. And that really opened up our eyes a great deal to all of the work that, that has come since then. Did the, you move away from blood to saliva because it's easier to get a saliva sample from a child? It is the easiest biofluid um, that you could possibly obtain from a child, yes. Okay. Um, and my colleague, uh, Steve Hicks, has actually completed parent surveys of which biofluid that they would most like to see their child um, contribute to research studies. And far and away, parents are the most agreeable with having a saliva sample. So our process in our initial uh, studies looking at autism um, was very educational and informative. We learned we can quickly get saliva samples from these children with autism, and we can measure several hundred microRNAs simultaneously in their saliva. And in the autism work, we can relate these to neurodevelopmental function, brain um, abilities of the, the related to social behavior and play and language and communication, sort of the normal brain function landscape. All of these things show some relation to the microRNA levels that we were measuring. Interesting. Uh, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Associate Professor Frank Middleton of Upstate Medical University about a new way to identify concussions. So let's talk a little about concussions because they seem to be sort of a challenge for everyone. I've seen estimates that more than 2 million children and adolescents experience concussions every year. And they're somewhat challenging to diagnose, uh, to treat, to know how long to treat. Um, so what's the current state of when a child comes in with a head injury and 
a concussion may be suspected. What do you what do you do from there? That's an excellent question. So I became very interested in concussion research for two reasons. One, if a child experiences perinatal um, head trauma and it damages part of the brain called the cerebellum that I've done a fair amount of research on, it turns out that that child, and you can consider this a, a type of prolonged post-concussive syndrome, that child who experiences that type of concussion is a 30-fold increased risk of developing autism spectrum disorder. So for, for life. For life. And the reason we believe that the risk is so elevated is because there are developing connections between the back of the brain that would have been injured in this case and the front of the brain where language and communication and social function are actually going to develop more in the future. And when these connections are damaged and disrupted, whether it's uh, an impact injury or a twisting injury or something like that, then that whole system doesn't develop normally. The brain is not an, an island. No part of the brain operates in isolation. The brain requires connections between the areas that are located some distance apart. Concussion absolutely interferes with these the communication across these pathways. So you're right, concussion is at a near epidemic proportion. And uh, in the US, every year about 1% of Americans will experience concussion and more than half of these are ex experienced in, in children, the pediatric population. So walking into my lab every day, I would walk past the new newly established um, concussion research center at SUNY Upstate. And I really had always wanted to, to merge my interest in autism and what I knew about the risk factors uh, for autism that included concussion research with getting into um, the microRNA measurement potentially as a biomarker for concussion. So I started a series of conversations with Brian Rieger, who's a researcher and clinician at Upstate and, and the director of the Concussion Center. And this led us to think about whether what we'd been doing in autism, what we'd been doing in alcohol abuse, um, could be applied to the study of concussion. And initially, our work in concussion focused on adults because we had access to a lot of samples uh, where we knew athletes, in this case, they were mixed martial arts fighters, had experienced a concussion. And they had already had research um, in place where they examined the functional state of these mixed martial arts fighters prior to them stepping in the, the octagon and then immediately after and then at days and weeks following. And so we took the same time points that they were using for functional assessments and we just went back and we measured the serum and we measured the saliva of those fighters and we realized that the microRNA patterns in the saliva and the serum as well were very predictive of the injury, the severity of the injury, and the course of recovery. And this research was constantly uh, being discussed among our research group, which included Steve Hicks at Hershey Penn State. And Steve 
um, initiated studies down there in their pediatric concussion center, very much trying to parallel what we had been doing in the adult population in our athletes. They didn't have the benefit of looking prior to an injury because in their population they were only looking after the child had shown up for treatment at the concussion center. But whether you're a child or whether you're an adult who experiences a concussion, the, the bottom line is that two things are very difficult to predict. One, you don't know how severe the injury is. It's pretty easy to tell if somebody has experienced a concussion if you're at the sideline of a sporting event or you're watching somebody who's in, involved in a boxing match or an MMA fight. You can tell when they can't stand up normally, when they've had disorientation and, and problems in, in thinking. But you don't know how severe it is. And the second thing is you don't know how long it's going to take them to recover. What we've been able to show in both the adult and the pediatric work is that these microRNAs are predictive of the severity of the injury as well as the time course of recovery. And this is very exciting, especially if you don't necessarily need to have a pre-injury measurement. And that's what Steve's work at Hershey Penn State has, has really shown, that even though they're only getting uh, the saliva measures a week or two weeks after the initial injury, they're able to tell which children will have uh, prolonged post-concussive syndrome. Oh, this is fascinating, but we're running out of time. Um, just tell me quickly, how soon till we have this in the hospital emergency department? That's or a great question. We are definitely trying to do everything we can to create something that's as simple as a strep test swab. It could be used in a physician's office or certainly at a concussion center to be able to come up with a definitive prediction about the diagnosis and the prognosis to really help these kids get back to school or help adults get back to their job and help inform the treatment. Very interesting. My guest has been upstate scientist Frank Middleton talking about concussion diagnosis. I'm Amber Smith for the podcast and talk show produced by Upstate, HealthLink on Air.